This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. I want to take a second to thank Gadgetflow for sponsoring this episode. Guys, if you are looking for an awesome platform to get your crowdfunding project in front of over 25 million people per month, you should absolutely check them out. They are the third largest Indiegogo partner and listed on Kickstarter as experts. And not to mention, they've worked with over 4,000 crowdfunding projects since 2012. Their platform also now supports AR and VR, which I thought was a really cool add-on. To find out more, you should definitely head over to thegadgetflow.com slash submit to list your crowdfunding project today, but be sure to use coupon code UNCUT10 to get 10% off your services with them. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Crowdfunding Uncut. I am your host, Kirsten Ross. You guys should obviously know that by now. Uh, Our guest today is, we're back in the um, beer-loving space of uh, crowdfunding. If you guys have been a long-time listener to the show, you would have seen that we had Dan Norris on um, episodes ago talking about how he was able to use crowdfunding to launch a line for their beer brand. And today we actually have... um, uh, you know, Ted, I discovered that you were in Toronto with me as well. So I don't know why we didn't do this in person. Very bad oversight on my part. But um, Ted Fleming has actually used Kickstarter to raise awareness and funds to bring their alcohol-free beer partake uh, brewing to the market. And uh, we've actually been in contact for the last few months. About six months ago, um, he launched this campaign and ended up raising just under 30,000. Um, and really well done. I really love their strategy. And, uh, I actually wanted to bring Ted onto the show today just to talk about what are some practices, like why he used Kickstarter to, um, actually launch a brand like this for a uh, non-alcoholic beer, because typically Kickstarter could be for gadgets and stuff like that. So you may not think that it could be a go-to platform to have a successful campaign around the um, consumer packaged goods or whatnot. And so anyways, like Ted, I'm just really stoked to have you on the show. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me, Christian. No worries. Um, So God, I have so much I want to ask you. Um, I'd love to know, like, why non-alcoholic beer? <laughs> what, yeah. like, what, what is the deal with that? Like, why did you want to choose that as your main focus for this, uh, like, product launch and stuff? Yeah, I get that question a lot. So, you know, my my story begins uh, a little over ten years ago. I was I was in my late twenties and and really starting to get into the blossoming craft beer scene that was starting to take root. Uh, here in Toronto. And um, unfortunately for me, that journey kind of got cut short due to a diagnosis of Crohn's disease. Um, so that was a big uh, change in my life. And then ar- around the same time, I became a, a dad for the first time. And so those two kind of life events really made me change my focus and 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 make my health more of a priority. And one of the results of that change in priorities was a decision to give up alcohol. Um, I, you know, I really miss my beer though. I miss the taste of it, discovering all the new craft beers coming out, but I really found I missed the, the social aspect of drinking, having a drink with a colleague after work, cracking beers with the guys in the locker room after hockey, and just simply sharing a drink with, uh, at special occasions with family and friends. Um, so that, that was sort of the background for, for why I got into this. And then, 
you know, I started drinking the non-alcoholic beer to kind of, um, uh, you know, fill that gap for me, but I found most of the products were, um, you know, they were of poor quality and there really wasn't much in, in terms of variety. So I just decided I, you know, I wanted to do, to do something about that. So when it comes to non-alcoholic beer, I know my experience, cause I, I go through these trends where I, even with coffee, but specifically with beer, um, with my training and stuff like that, I will go through periods where I just don't drink, but I, I do find it really hard to socialize when you're with a bunch of your friends having beer at a brewery and you are the one drinking soda water. And it's funny you say that there aren't too many options for us because it's true. Like I'll even go to a place um, like the beer market that has over a hundred beers either bottled or on tap and they only have two or three varieties of non-alcoholic beer. And I find even to get one that tastes good and isn't loaded with a bunch of crap is really hard to find. So um, when you were actually creating, um, like was Partake your first run or did you start in the scene with like a different non-alcoholic beer? Cause you mentioned that this journey for you started about four years ago. So can you walk me through like the Genesis of, okay, so you decided to go after your first product and then from that led to this Kickstarter, like. Yeah. So, um, about four years ago I was, uh, you know, thinking about getting into the non-alcoholic beer business and, and my background, I came from the electricity ind- industry. I'm an engineer by training um, didn't know a lot about beverages and brewing beer at that point. Um, so it was uh, creating my own product at that point was, uh, was very daunting. So I took a different route and I decided to validate the market by creating, uh, I basically created an e-commerce platform specifically devoted to non-alcoholic beer. And then that evolved as, as my customer base grew that evolved to non-alcoholic wines and ciders and we even we even now have a line of alcohol free spirits like whiskey and and gin if you can believe it um so that that um that process was very important because it it helped uh build a community around non-alcoholic beer it helped us create a customer base helped us get feedback in terms of what new products people were looking for and it helped uh you know just build up my own experience in terms of what you know, what, what a good non-alcoholic beer might taste like and, uh, uh, basically what customers were looking for. So that was, that was critical, I think, in, in taking the next step, which was creating, uh, creating our own product out of the feedback from the, from those customers. So a lot of the customers and this myself included wanted more craft beer in the non-alcoholic beer space. I looked around the world and tried to source stuff for my store and I couldn't find anyone. So I decided to, you know, that this was the time to, you know, get back to that original idea of, of creating my own beer. And, uh, I started doing some research and development and testing. And, um, you know, once I had a prototype kind of ready, um, I looked at crowdfunding as a, as a way to, to get that launched. Right. And so back when you were just doing the, I say back as if it was back in the two thousands, but like back, you know, when you were, um, the e-commerce platform were, I guess you, were you white labeling? Were you reselling other people's products? Like what did that look like? Cause Partake is your first actual created from scratch product. So what, what were you doing before? Right. So that? it was, it was, it was, um, 
so the website's called premium premium near beer.com. It's a, it's, it was curating, um, the best products we could find and, and reselling them. So we would import, uh, products from Europe. We would, uh, buy them from other local distributors here. Um, and basically bring, you know, the best of the category into one convenient location for people to buy. Um, we used obviously some, uh, uh, PR to to get the word out about that. We use some some online ads and so on. But we we built a community to um, probably in excess of ten to fifteen thousand people, whether they're customers of the store or through our social social media channels. Uh, but a, a pretty good uh, base of people to um, get feedback from and to really engage with. And, and we were kind of the first in the market of really you know, trying to do something for this customer base. And they really connected, the customers really connected with my message, my own story, because a lot of them had similar uh, experiences and, you know, uh, essentially felt ignored by the marketplace that they weren't being serviced with through traditional retailers and so on. Yeah, I hear you. And so when you have this thriving community online, um, you have traffic, you have a social media presence and customer base. Why did you go to Kickstarter to launch part, Partake and versus just doing a launch on your own, like to your own audience privately? Yeah, that, that was a debate I, I had, um, you know, w- internally. W- and, um, you know, I ultimately decided that the potential upside of, the kickst- of, of going on a platform like Kickstarter was worth it. I, you know, I, I really think my product is unique and the offering is unique and the, and the story, um, connects with people about it. So I, I just thought it was, it was an opportunity I didn't want to pass up. Um, I think maybe subsequently, um, we might do it internally rather than kickstarting it. But, um, I think for the first product, it was, uh, it was important to get it out there. And we were hoping that the, the campaign would lead to more, more PR, which is, which is really important for a, an emerging new brand. Yeah. It's interesting you say that for subsequent launches, you're probably going to do it internally um, because the trend that I usually see is if you have a successful crowdfunding campaign for product one, uh, a lot of creators will go back to Kickstarter or Indiegogo and just keep relaunching new brands on that platform. So why do you say you're looking to do it internally for the future? Uh, part of the reason is is cost. Um, obviously, there's a cost to using these these platforms. It's not astronomical, but it it adds up. Uh, we're we're uh, you know being in a grocery food business, we're we're not the highest margin products. So every every percentage is important to us. Um, I, I you know looking back at the data that came from the Kickstarter campaign, we we got about maybe twenty five percent of our backers from. Uh, from the Kickstarter community, but a large number, you know, the the vast majority were people that were already within our community. Um, so I, I think that that split um, that we saw uh, makes me really, you know, really believe that it's 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 our existing customer base, and and so maybe the the money that we would otherwise have paid to a crowdfunding platform might be better spent just trying to to market our product um, to the audiences we already have. Yeah. Nope. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So before Kickstarter, uh, I know that a lot of creators, like you don't, you have an idea of what to expect and you may have even spoken to other people who've had successful campaigns on there, but what was your 
big fear going into Kickstarter? Like, and did you have any hesitation on why you, you know, you just going into it, right? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't really think I had a lot of hesitation. I, I did a lot of research. I think, I think I probably researched doing a Kickstarter or crowdfunding campaign for six months. So I felt by the time we, we got to, uh, the point where the rubber hit the road and we had, uh, we were putting our campaign up. I think I'd, I'd done all the things from a project management point of view that I needed to do. I think I, I thought I had the right product. I thought I was, you know, telling the story in the right way. Um, so I, you know, a, a lot of that, a lot of that comfort comes from preparation and that's really important. And, you know, there's great resources out there to, to help people with, you know, getting their crowdfunding campaign organized. And obviously like for me, anyways, a lot of your content was, was very instructive and informative in, in sort of preparing me for that, uh, for that uh, campaign. Oh, I love that. Um, would you say, cause I know you've listened to a few episodes, um, for someone who may be a first time listener of this show, listening to you right now, do you have one episode that you'd recommend that, um, would stand out the most for someone? Uh, I just, it's not as fresh in my mind as maybe it should be, but <laughs> I, 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 I kind of, I, I did cherry pick through the episodes. So I would, I would go through the, you know, the, the descriptions of the list and, and find out which ones that I thought, you know, were relevant to what I was doing, or if it was like a food entrepreneur, or if it was okay, you know, setting things up for marketing. I think there's a whole bunch that are critical. There's a whole bunch of aspects to the, to a campaign that are critical and, and the different episodes touch on each one. Uh, so I, I, I think one episode is not going to get you there. I think you need to, you need to look at all these different aspects. And if one aspect is not working to its fullest, then it's going to let down uh, all these other things you do. So it's very important to get sort of the, the total picture together and, and have a strategy for, um, you know, various aspects of the campaign and, and, and just be organized and, and you get that through several episodes that touch on those those different areas. Yeah, that is true. I like to keep a nice 360 perspective of everything. So cool. Um, so going having gone through a crowdfunding campaign, um, there are obviously things that went really well and things that didn't go so well. What is something the one thing that you guys uh, that you think you did really well that you want to do again in future? Yeah, I think I think for us, the the fact that we came into our crowdfunding campaign with an actively engaged community, and and part of this was the you know some of the content you've put out on you know how do you what's your lead up to to launch day, you know you start six weeks out of you know trickle, oh we're going to launch uh, a Kickstarter campaign for this product, and and there's like I think you you laid out a basically a system of you know, how you do these different things to communicate with your audience, to really prime them to uh, be ready to act on day one when the, when the campaign launches. And that ties into the, you know, the algorithms in these uh, platforms and, and helps, you know, get your product out there to the much larger um, crowdfunding community. Um, so that was very important for us to, to have that system in place. And we were able to, um, um, we, we were able to implement that and take advantage of that as a, uh, as a very important tool. Cool. And 
if you could do this all over again, what would you say is the, you know, the biggest mistake you made or the, the thing that you definitely change next time? I think I would be, I would want to be further along in my, um, further along in my production process and have that nailed down a bit more. The, the problem we ran into in producing our, our new product for the first time was we had, we had delays like a lot of, a lot of projects do. We've, we've gotten, we've solved those and, and pretty much all of our backers have, have their reward at this point. But if I was doing it over, I would, I would have a bit more clarity on my path to production and, and, uh, distribution and fulfillment to the, the customers. And that was, that was more ambiguous when, uh, when I started. So I, w- I would get more of that in place because that it's very stressful when you have, you know, you've been successful in the campaign and now you have this commitment to get these customers, their product within a certain time frame. Um, yeah, it just would have been nicer to have uh, a bit more clarity and uh, have our production process a bit more nailed down uh, by the time uh, the Kickstarter was over. I yeah, I hear that very often. <laughs> I even get on the phone with people because um, I'm a consultant, so I get on the phone with people who are looking to hire me uh, or our team for services. And a lot of the time I need to turn them away because they're just at the idea stage um, where, you know, I've, I've been burned in the past by like our very first campaign, we raised money for an idea and we didn't even have like proof of a working prototype or anything. And so when you go and raise half a million dollars for something that you don't even know if it's viable, you run into some major issues. Um, so I'm curious, like, how far along were you in the in the product development production area? Yeah, so I developed a, a prototype for the beer and, and the prototype, you know, to get to there had a, a method and a recipe um, that I developed. Um, what we didn't have was that that next step of taking it sort of from a desktop level to a commercial scale. And because our product is very new, um, a lot of breweries we talked to, to, to help us, you know, to help us make it and bring it to commercial scale, you know, they, it was, it, it was not comfortable for them. They didn't, they didn't know this product. They, a lot of them would say, even when I mentioned the word non-alcoholic, they just stop the conversation right there and not even, you know, get to the discussion of the method and, and recipe and whether or not they can make it on the system that they had. So, um, that that was a big a big challenge for us and um but you know we 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 eventually found some partners we could work with but uh it, it was it was challenging not having not having anyone really done this before and so that created some some hesitancy on the part of potential partners to manufacture it for us i hear you um so were you waiting until after because i see this trend a lot and i'm curious if you um, did this too. Were you waiting until after your crowdfunding campaign to make sure you had the funds before approaching a partner or did you start having those conversations ahead of time? Like, how did you, how'd you feel that? Yeah, we were trying to, to talk to people once we'd reached our goal and we were, we were lucky enough to reach our goal within the first uh, few hours of the campaign. Um, so at least I had that to go and start, start conversations with brewers. Part of the, part of the problem I realized afterwards was, um, 
there's there's very much a uh, in the brewing industry there's a lot it's very cyclical based on season and because i was i was coming to brewers in the spring as they're starting to ramp up for their busiest season in the summer um it made it more difficult for me if my campaign had gone in in say um you know september or august and then i was looking to to make my product in in the fall then that might have been a much better fit for me so that was that was part of the issue was the timing and i didn't understand i probably should have had a better idea about the cyclical nature of the manufacturing cycle mm-hmm. um and i'm sure that that applies to a lot of other a, a lot of other products out there um but yeah, as, as soon as we reached our goal, I, I started talking to people about um, potentially making the product. So I, I did that while the campaign was still running. But there was, there was also that issue of, okay, well, I could work with uh, Brewer A, but they can only make this size of, size of batch, whereas Brewer B has to do be three times that size. So there was, there was some, you know... Uh, we didn't really, we didn't really know exactly how much we had to make, and that was that was an issue for for brewers when when we approached them. Yeah, so I guess in the future you'd be looking at having at least starting these conversations ahead of your campaign, just so you would know some of those variables. Yeah, and like if that I was starting new, that that's certainly what I would do. You know, if if we went crowdfunding again, or or if we launched a new product by our own site, whichever way we we decide to go you know, I, I'm in a much better position now for that second product because I have a relationship with the brewer now and I have, I have an idea, better idea of the costing and, and the fulfillment and all that stuff you learn through, through doing it the first time. Um, you can, you can sidestep some of the, the landmines, uh, you stepped on in the first, the first, uh, time around. So if you, um, I'm just playing devil's advocate to help other people, um, kind of see what sort of lead time they should promise their backers when they press press go on their campaign. Um, so if you hadn't started these conversations until you got funded, how did you estimate when you'd be able to fulfill your rewards? So the, what I did was I, I basically under, I understood what my, my manufacturing timeframe was to make, make the product. I just didn't know of when I would, you know, get a contract with someone to make it. So I gave myself a little bit of, I gave myself four months because I wanted to, I, I also wanted to get people the the product, the beer before the end of summer. Again, it, because it's the, uh, you know, most popular beer drinking season. Um, so th- that was kind of why I did it that way. And I, I kind of had a feeling that there would be, you know, there would be an opportunity for me to, to make it with someone before then, but just the way turns things turned out that uh, that wasn't the case, and um, you know we we were a little bit delayed with the uh, uh, with the production. I think uh, you know as an entrepreneur, I, I now understand what what other people call the rule of two: everything takes twice as long and costs twice as much as as you originally anticipated will. Yeah, I remember it just reminded me of a conversation I had with uh, one of my like earlier campaigns where um, the client asked me, how long should we tell people that we can fulfill? Um, and at the time, like a realistic time frame was six months. And he said, well, can we say three months? Because six months may seem too long and we might lose some backers. And I was like, you can't do this in three months. You're actually going to have a lot of upset people if you promise something you cannot deliver. And of course, six months turn into 
closer to nine or 10 months. But it's just, it's really funny what could go through um, an entrepreneur's mind when they're trying to establish like good expectations. I think what you did with the four months is very realistic timeframe. Um, but just, you know, some things to take into consideration. You want to over promise, under deliver, no, the other way around, <laughs> over deliver, under promise. And yeah. I think you did, you did a good job there. Um, yeah, we, we, we even had a, like, part of it was, um, was an issue on production where our first run, you know, we, you know, there's this uncertainty about scaling from desktop that I mentioned earlier, and we did have a problem on our first run. So that set us back a month. Um, so it's another thing of, okay, well, we, we seem to have everything in place to be very close to meeting our deadline. And then all of a sudden, you know, something, something unexpected happens and you have to deal with it. And, and, and so on. So there are, there are a lot of things that even if you control the process as much as you can and the, you, you manage the project well, there's still things out of, outside of your control that can and, you know, in a lot of cases will happen. So I think, yeah, you have to, have, you have to take that into consideration as well. How did you handle telling your backers that it was going to be delayed? Well, we had, uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you about the, the, the production issue. So we, we had the recipe was, you know, it didn't come out exactly the way we wanted it on our first run. It came out. So we're, our product is a non-alcoholic IPA and it came out a lot more hoppy and bitter, even though this, the style is, is one that is hoppy and bitter. Um, it was more, a lot more than what our design was. And so our, what we did from a communications point of view was, um, you know, instead of throwing the product out or telling people, you know, it's just going to be delayed. We, we gave people the option. We told everyone, okay, this is what happened. Here's the option. If you like really hoppy beer, by all means, we will send you this. If you want to, if you want to wait for what our design beer was, you know, it's going to be another month. And then we're also going to give you the option of taking half of the design beer and half of this beer. So we actually created a lot more customers from, well, I wouldn't say we created a lot more customers, but that was a way to make a lot of people happy. Um, those people who self-selected wanting this, this hoppier version of the product, um, many of them really loved it and they actually want us to make it as a, as a full-time product. Um, so that was an interesting bit of feedback and it, and it also allowed, it also allowed people to like from our Facebook pages and social media to start seeing, okay, people are actually starting to get this. This is, this is legit. We're going to get it. It's just a matter of time. And I think there's probably, you know, because most of the people who backed me were my, you know, were part of my community already, there probably wasn't as much of that anxiety, but I know, you know, there are some people who, who came to us through, through other, uh, areas that that didn't have that relationship with me and i i could see that you know being able to ship at least part of this product to people and and them seeing it on social media of people getting it you know it made people rest a bit easier that okay this is a legitimate business and we're going to get the product it's just a matter of time and and we were communicating with them about what uh, what the situation was at least um you know this accident if you just say this is product line number two that you're launching it's literally accident turns success story <laughs> yeah amazing yeah so it's it was it was quite interesting to get the feedback that uh, that we got i wasn't quite expecting it but uh 
I do, I do now have a fan base about, uh, we, we actually call the beer hoppy accident because one of the, one of the, uh, the Kickstarter backers came back and said, this is a, such a happy accident. Cause I love very hoppy beer and I just absolutely love this. And so we decided to, to call it a uh, hoppy accident in, in honor of his, uh, his comment. Oh, that is awesome. Cause I think if it were me, like to say I was you and I did all this thing like my first thought would be oh no we just screwed up the whole production run we've got to get rid of this <laughs> would be like my first thought so um but then again I guess you were just like look we just spent a bunch of money on this do we really want to waste it so is that kind of what gave you the idea to just ask your audience if they want it or yeah like I I, I tried it right out of the brewery and I immediately, you know, you, 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 when you're there, you really want it to be right. You know, you have this, you have this confirmation bias that you, you just, you just want it to be right. And I tasted it and I'm like, Oh, uh, is it there? Is it, you know, is it this, is this an issue of scaling? Is this something else? You kind of, all these things are going through your mind. It took me a day to, to figure out and, and talk to the brewery and say, look, you know, this, this isn't quite what, uh, what I need it to be. Um, you know, I, I have this expectation of this is what I was prom- promising customers, and and it wasn't quite it, but it was still, it was still good, as a, as a beer, and so you know it. I guess the, the the thing I would suggest is you know don't, you know don't rush to a decision. If I would have gone with my initial feeling, as you know, as you kind of mentioned, it might be okay. Let's throw this out, and we have to start over. You know, I thought about it for a couple of days, and then decided, okay, this is this is probably the best way to do it. And I think that was, it was, it was a big win that we were able to a use the product. So we didn't have to throw it out. And we created, we got great feedback on what potentially could be a new product for us as well. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, now I don't know how much of this you could talk about, so I'll just let you lead this part of the conversation, but um, outside of a Kickstarter campaign is very rarely about the Kickstarter campaign, where I like to see it as a great way to build awareness for a brand and an excuse to get press to talk about you. And what we'll see outside of a Kickstarter campaign are a lot of opportunities coming out of it. Um, what are some cool things that have happened for you in the few months after having a successful Kickstarter campaign? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go back even you know a bit earlier, which is um, within... I, th- I think we launched at the very end of March and I think on the first or second of April, I, uh, I pitched, uh, or I, d- I auditioned for the, uh, the CBC show Dragon's Den. And the nice thing about going in at that time was I was able to say, Hey, we, we just launched a Kickstarter and we reached our goal in three hours and we've, you know, doubled our goal within three days or, you know, it was, it, that was a great piece of, um, you know, validation for, for the product. Not only did I, you know, sample the product in the audition, but I had that as a backup of, okay, this is, this is getting real traction with a wider audience. So it was great to have that. And then, you know, luckily for me, I was selected to, to, to pitch for, for the TV. Um, and again, having the Kickstarter by that time, the Kickstarter had finished, we'd reached, uh, roughly three times our goal and so that's very important for a product that I basically just had as a prototype at that point and having the traction, the demonstrated traction that comes through a, a crowdfunding campaign was very important to, to my pitch and, and the legitimacy of, of, 
what I was trying to do. Awesome. And what was like, what was it for those in the U S who are like, what's dragon's den? Um, it's like our version of shark tank, but, uh, can you talk about your experience on the show? Like not the outcome, because I know you're under NDA for that until it airs, but, um, what was it like dealing and having to pitch your brand to investors like this? Yeah, I think everything, uh, this is what I tell people is like pretty much everything I've done post, uh, pitching in front of the dragons or, or sharks for our, our U.S. friends. Um, everything after that has been seemed at least relatively straightforward and simple. Um, you know, it's it's th- there's a lot of anxiety that goes with that. It's stressful. There's a lot of preparation that's involved, and and just even the day that you're you're going in there to pitch, just the waiting around for your turn. Um, it, it was you know in hindsight it was a great experience. And I think, I think it's really valuable to have had that and, and, and to, you know, to have that experience that, that does make, you know, pitching in front of other investors or, or telling people about your telling a large crowd about your business or what you're doing. It makes all those things that much easier. Um, you know, investors are still going to ask tough questions and, and, you know, the, the dragon's den, it's, it's you know they're investors, but it's also TV, so it's it's a little different. But you know, it's I think it's the same uh, the same uh, experience that uh, you'd get from pitching to just another group of investors. You really have to know your business, you have to know your numbers, you have to show you're passionate about about what you're doing and why they should uh, why you're the person to to help take that business forward. So those those are all things you learn and uh, are able to to practice in in a, in a real life situation there. So I would recommend if anyone's thinking of, of applying to pitch on those shows, uh, I think it's, I think it's a great opportunity and I think you should do it. Yeah. I would love that experience. Um, except unfortunately, but fortunately I'm the chick behind the brands, not my own brand yet (laughs) for something that would be suitable to pitch on Dragon's Den. But, um, yeah, really, really great interview. There's a lot of awesome content. Um, in here, I guess one of my last two questions is what's next for you? Yeah. So we're, we're working to develop uh, a really amazing, innovative pipeline of new products. So the IPA, uh, our non-alcoholic IPA was just the first and we're expecting to have a lager and a stout in 2018. And then we may even have some, some other products uh, as well, still working out the details on those. But what we're trying to do basically is we're trying to bring all the things that make, you know, the craft beer industry great, bring that to the non-alcoholic beer drinker who's been largely ignored for the last 30 or 40 years. And those, those things that make craft beer great, I think, are, are taste. And I think we've, we've hit the mark on taste with our product, uh, authenticity, creativity, uh, passion. And so we're, I, we're, we're hopefully going to transform um, this category, it's, it's, it's not a big category, but it's important to a lot of people. And, you know, I think, I think I'm really trying to, to make it better for people. Well said. And I mean, okay. Do you have any famous last words for anyone who is about to start the journey that you just went on? Well, yeah, I I think, you know, I'm, I'm a person who, who says thing, you know, says just like, let's do it. What's the worst that can happen? If, if you don't try, then you'll never know. 
All right. And for anyone who is now interested in purchasing your beer or just wants to uh, just find out more information about you and what you're working on, do you have a good spot you can send them? Sure. You, you can go to uh, our website, drinkpartake.com, or you can go to our e-commerce store, premiumnearbeer.com. Awesome. And we're, uh, we're located in the Toronto area. Great. I'll make sure to put a link to both of those in the show notes uh, available at crowdfundinguncut.com. But apart from that, Ted, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I love connecting with listeners, especially ones that have like well-researched and you know, you're a success story. So I wish you all the best and thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you, Kristen. It was great to, great to be on the show. I'm, I'm a super fan. So uh, this was fun. Oh, thanks so much. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.